Support for Che Explained comes from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. If you like spy thrillers or indeed Elizabeth Moss, then you might want to check out FX's The Veil. It's an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. Oh, I'll go. One woman has a secret, same here, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. On the show last week, we covered a new crisis on the southern border of the United States. Thousands of Haitians were living in squalor under a bridge outside Del Rio, Texas. The Biden administration had begun deporting them to Haiti. But there were also rumors that the Biden administration wanted to send some of them to Guantanamo, the naval base that houses the notorious prison site on the coast of Cuba, has had a less notorious migrant detention center in the past. This. Can you definitively clarify whether or not the administration will send migrants at the border to Guantanamo? We will not. Uh, there's never been a plan to do that. The White House denied that was ever in the cards. I think there was some confusion uh, related to um, the Migrant Operations Center, which is used has been used for decades to process migrants interdicted at sea uh, for third country resettlement. Uh, this request for the brief attention on Guantanamo was a reminder that despite the war on terror winding down in Afghanistan, the war on terror's detention center in Guantanamo Bay is still very much open and active. It's almost 20 years old. President Obama tried and failed to shut it down, and now President Biden wants to try again. On the show today, we're going to look at the challenges he faces and hear from a former Guantanamo detainee. But first... Jasmine Elgamal. I'm a senior manager for MENA at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue and a former Middle East advisor at the Department of Defense. I was also a translator at Guantanamo Bay. We asked Jasmine to remind us why Guantanamo Bay's detention center was opened in the first place. I would say the biggest argument was centered around the use of this term, global war on terror. Our war on terror begins with al-Qaeda, but it does not end there. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped, and defeated. There were a lot of terms that came into play around that time as the Bush administration tried to legally justify sending these people to Guantanamo Bay. I mean, this was something that really was unprecedented at the time. We went into Afghanistan and we were fighting an enemy. And this is really important to understand in terms of why we were calling them enemy combatants versus prisoners. Uh, These are enemy combatants 
who are waging war on our nation. We have a right under the laws of war. And we have an obligation to the American people to detain these enemies and stop them from rejoining the battle. We were fighting an enemy that wasn't wearing a traditional uniform and that wasn't part of a traditional army. And so the Bush administration used that as an excuse or as justification to not treat them as prisoners of war and afford them the rights that they uh, would have been afforded under the Geneva Conventions had they been part of a conventional army. All of us in the administration are united in the view that they are not deserving of prisoner of war status. There is a question that we are examining, and it is, a, it is a difficult question, and that is the legal application of the Geneva Convention. This is a new kind of conflict. It's, it's a new world. But at the same time, we want to make sure everybody understands that we are a nation of law abiding by our international obligations. So the whole, you know, a big part of the reasoning uh, and the justification for bringing them to Gitmo and treating them as enemy combatants was because the Bush administration said this is a new type of war, this is a new type of enemy, the enemy doesn't make itself known to us, and therefore we should not have to treat them as if they were a traditional army and a traditional foe. And certainly this had opposition from the jump. It had opposition, but, you know, for people who who weren't really following it at the time, I think it's it's important to kind of highlight, in hindsight, it's really easy to see how, you know, horrible this was and 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 just how wrong it was. Not to say that we didn't know at the time that it was wrong. I mean, obviously, it was clear from the start. But in terms of the legal justifications and the legal kind of hoops that were being jumped, I think a lot of people didn't really understand what was happening until years later. The Bush administration kind of, I would say, used the fact that people were shell-shocked after uh, September 11th. People were afraid. Uh, remember, these are the ones in Guantanamo Bay are killers. Uh, they're, uh, uh, they don't share the same values we share. They would like nothing more than to come after America or our friends and allies, and so therefore it's in our national interest to make sure we know enough about them before we decide what to do with them. A lot of people didn't want these enemies, you know, this faceless enemy that didn't wear a uniform, that wasn't part of a traditional army. They didn't want them anywhere near the United States. There was a lot of fear at the time, a lot of confusion as to what we were dealing with. And I think the Bush administration and their legal team really utilized that fear and that uncertainty to create justifications for bringing them to Gitmo. Do we know to date how many people have been detained at Guantanamo Bay? The New York Times reports that since 2002, about 780 detainees have been held at one point or the other in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, at the detention center. And about 39 remain today. So who ends up there? I mean, who ended up there? I mean, everybody. <laughs> you know, in, in the in the fog of war, sort of, you know, U.S. forces are in Afghanistan. They're fighting the Taliban. They know that al-Qaeda's there. There are a lot of bad guys there. We're rounding people up and we're literally holding tribunals on the spot, trying to determine whether they should be put on a plane and sent to Gitmo. There was a sense that if you were an Arab in Afghanistan, 
in 2001, 2002, 2003 that you were a bad guy. When the U.S. went into Afghanistan, for example, we put a bounty on the head of Arabs living in Afghanistan. So we basically said, we will pay you X number of dollars if you turn in an Arab fighter. You can imagine the number of people that were turned in wrongly either by a neighbor who held a grudge against them and just wanted to collect some cash by giving them to the Americans. But, Sean, remember that a lot of these Arabs actually went to Afghanistan in the 80s to fight the Soviet Union, and the U.S. supported them at the time. After the Soviet Union left Afghanistan in defeat, a lot of these fighters just stayed. They got married, they built families, I mean, they built a whole life over there. And we didn't really take that into account when we were looking for, you know, for Arabs in Afghanistan, uh, let alone um, the Afghans who are living there that we determined should be part of the detainee population in Guantanamo Bay. So you can imagine how many people were just caught up in that and ended up being there for years and years for no reason whatsoever. Just to give people an idea, Jasmine, of what your experience may have been like if you had been wrongly detained at Guantanamo in, say, I don't know, 2002, 2003. How long did it take you to become aware of why you were even there and then after that to potentially be released? I mean, short answer, a very, very long time. Um, It took at least, at least a couple of years between the time that the first detainees were brought to Guantanamo Bay to the time when they were actually provided with a piece of paper that had a list of the reasons why they were there. Um, and they were called allegations, uh, the list of allegations. You know, So we, you know, we think that you did X, Y, and Z. Would you like to respond to these allegations? So you're saying that you might be detained in a tiny cell, beaten and tortured for multiple years before anyone even tells you why? Pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much you could be. The reality is that they will be treated humanely in accordance with the precepts of the convention because that's the kind of people we are. We treat people well. We treat people humanely. And you can be sure that's what is uh, happening with the detainees at Guantanamo and all others who are in the custody of the United States Armed Forces or other parts of the United States government. Picture... The first detainees arriving in 2002, early 2003, summer of 2004, the review boards start. It takes, you know, a few months. Sometimes it takes more than a year for the detainees to agree to participate. You know, because remember, these were not legal proceedings. These proceedings were not recognized by any court of law. So a lot of the detainees would refuse to participate in them because they're like, we're not going to give this proceeding any legitimacy because we should not even be here. And so if you can imagine that if you were there completely wrongly detained and some review board was set up to try to give you a chance to explain your story, but you're afraid that your words may be used against you, you know, you're afraid that you might not be able to offer evidence for your story. I mean, it was so, so complicated that it took at least a few years for it to become clear whether a detainee should be released or not. In his first week in office, President Obama said he was going to shut it down. This first executive order that we are signing uh, 
by the authority vested in me as president. You were an assistant to the Undersecretary of Defense at the time Obama was trying to shut down Guantanamo. What happened? And promptly to close the detention facility at Guantanamo consistent with the national security and foreign policy interests of the United States and the interests of justice, I hereby order. President Obama had made it very clear from, from day one that he was going to shut it down for a whole host of reasons, not just because it was it was a legal embarrassment and a legal travesty, but also it was one of the top issues that was being used and is still used today in uh, in terrorist recruitment efforts. Terrorists and extremists will use Guantanamo Bay as a way to recruit people into their movements. It's counterproductive to our fight against terrorists because they use it as propaganda in their efforts to recruit. I mean, you remember the photos from the early, early days of Guantanamo of men in orange jumpsuits kneeling down, hands handcuffed behind their backs, uh, barbed wire, dogs, torture, waterboarding. I mean, all of that stuff was happening completely outside of the realm of any legal justification whatsoever. Of course, it's prime recruitment material. And so why was it so hard for the Obama administration to shut it down? So there are two types of people, right, at Guantanamo Bay. The people that we eventually decided to release and the people that, uh, you know, for example, like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, who's actually a really bad guy, and we know that, and he's one of the people who's being tried for the September 11th attacks. There were challenges with both of those categories. The people that we wanted to release, first of all, we would try to release them to their home country, their country of origin. In some cases, though, they hadn't lived in that country of origin for years and years. And so that country wouldn't want them back. So let's say Saudi Arabia, for example, or Jordan or, you know, whatever country. They were like, wait a minute, this person has not even lived here. We don't know what they've been up to. They've been in Gitmo, you know, so it becomes sort of a stigma that they carry around. So that was one challenge we had. Sometimes their home countries didn't want them. When we would try to send them to third countries, sometimes the third countries wouldn't want them. They'd be like, wait a minute, why are you trying to send these people to, oh, we have nothing to do with this. In a lot of cases also, we wouldn't even take them. Even though the U.S. was responsible for bringing them to Guantanamo, we knew that they were wrongfully detained. We recommended them for release. We still couldn't bring them to the U.S. because of political considerations and outcry from people here. Do we have to release them in the United States? If we can't find a third country, what do we do with them? So many challenges. And that's just with the people who we wanted to release. With the other category, like the people who we wanted to try. Last November, Holder announced 9-11 mastermind suspect Khalid Sheikh Mohammed would be tried in federal criminal court in New York City. There was a huge outcry when President Obama uh, even suggested that they would be flown to the U.S. either to be held in maximum security prisons here or to be put on trial here. New York Democrat Chuck Schumer asked him to look elsewhere. The overwhelming consensus in New York, as you know, is uh, that it shouldn't be there. And I just strongly urge you to make sure that that doesn't happen. It was very difficult to convince members of Congress, U.S. taxpayers, that they should pay to fly these people who attacked our country into the country so that they could have a platform or somehow use that as a victory lap in some kind of way. Republicans, like Senator Sessions, said Guantanamo suspects should not be tried anywhere on the U.S. mainland. 
American people are not interested in terrorists being brought from Guantanamo to their own communities. Reality is a stubborn thing, pretending that terrorists can safely be treated as common, common criminals will not make it so. When I worked in the Obama administration, President Obama appointed two special envoys, one at the State Department and one at the Defense Department. Their sole job was to figure out how to release people from Guantanamo Bay. So reviewing their case files, making recommendations for release that the Secretary of Defense had to sign off on. There were regular meetings, if I remember correctly, and there were huge diplomatic efforts with other countries to try to convince those other countries to take them. So Gitmo has now been open under four presidents. So obviously it's not just a challenge for one president. I just signed, prior to walking in, an order directing Secretary Mattis, who is doing a great job. And in fact, President Trump actually, just before his first State of the Union address, signed an executive order to keep Guantanamo Bay open indefinitely. To re-examine our military detention policy and to keep open the detention facilities in Guantanamo Bay. Twelve years later, does Obama's vice president now have a better chance to shut it down? He has a better chance only because we're getting closer and closer to the trial dates or to a start date, at least, for some of these trials, although they're not happening anytime soon. But you could imagine that over the next four years or eight years, we're able to hold these trials and to hold people accountable. But then the question, Sean, becomes, well, if these trials are held and, okay, let's say, for example, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed is found guilty in a court of law, well, where do you put him? So there is also a chance that you just end up keeping a portion of that prison open, of that detention facility open, if only to hold the few people that we could find guilty in, in, a, in an actual court of law. But the U.S. needed a place to put Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And as you said, no states were willing. Does that mean perhaps not Guantanamo, but something like it was necessary at some point in this war on terror? I mean, I would never say that something like Guantanamo Bay was necessary. President Bush could have brought four people to to the Guantanamo Bay naval base that was already there. And, and, and that would have been the challenge that we would have had to deal with. Instead, he decided to bring hundreds and hundreds of people, just sweeping them off, you know, the streets of Afghanistan and bringing them and creating this legal and moral and strategic mess that he did that subsequent presidents had to clean up, basically. I mean, it didn't have to be this way. To answer your question, right, I don't know if we needed a place like Guantanamo Bay, but I certainly know that we didn't need it to be what it was. After the break, detainee 441. Today Explained support today comes from Quince, which rhymes with since, but is spelt with a Q-U. The poet Josh O'Donohue once said, we're getting very classy here, when one flower blooms, spring awakens everywhere. Now, 
I don't know exactly if that's true, it tells me to tell you, but I do know that Quince offers timeless essentials that they say never go out of style no matter what the season. And honestly, that also kind of sounds like a poem, doesn't it? Not only that, Quince says all of their items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Take it away, Claire White. The style feels great. It feels really timeless. It feels like a cut that I could wear over and over again and through a lot of different seasons. I love a plain sweater. You can upgrade your wardrobe this spring by going to quince.com slash explain for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash explained to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash explained. It rhymes with since. Support for the show comes from Shopify today. Shopify is, of course, the global commerce platform flexible enough to help your business sell at every stage of growth. You know that friend of yours who's like on that next level yoga, who's like doing backflips? That's like Shopify when it comes to helping your business sell at every stage of growth. No matter what you're making, Shopify can help you turn browsers into buyers and sell your products everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point of sale system. Shopify offers the flexibility to support your operation. And right now they're offering Shopify Magic, an AI-powered helper created to give you a little boost and help you stress less and sell more. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash explained. Go to shopify.com slash explained now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash explained. I had never spoken to someone who had been detained at Guantanamo Bay until I spoke to Mansour Adaifi. I didn't know what to expect, but I did not quite expect this. Hey, guys. Mansoor was bubbly. Good morning or good afternoon, good whatever at your place, at your time. I am Mansoor al He was wearing an orange scarf, the same color as the orange jumpsuits detainees at Guantanamo wear. I have another name, like 441, my entertainment serial number at Guantanamo. Smile troublemaker, the worst of the worst. <laughs> W-O-W. I got those names at Guantanamo. I asked him who he was before he became detainee 441, smiley troublemaker, or the worst of the worst. I, you know, I born like a baby. Well, like when I born, <laughs> like anyone else. <laughs> Effervescent. I was uh, born in um, a village in Yemen. I raised in a very conservative and tribal society. We live by tribal code, honor, integrity, courage, hospitality. And so on. Mansoor says that he was a bright kid, so he eventually left his village to continue his schooling in Sana'a, Yemen. When I like started my high school, I moved to live with my aunt at the city. What was a new world? A lot of cars, buildings, streets, lights. Wow, this is a new world, guys. So <laughs> from there, I finished my high school. I learned a lot about the city, about life, about the new world. Around this time, Mansoor says he gets a gig as a researcher. Then I went to Afghanistan on a research mission. I was like researcher assistant. 
What were you researching in Afghanistan? We were researching uh, for one of the Islamic institutes about uh, those groups in Afghanistan, Al-Qaeda, Taliban, and new other groups. You know, they believe their ideology, uh, ideology and so on. And my, my work was approved by Yemeni government, official work. What were you trying to find out? There was many groups there. Nobody knows about them. And there's a lot, lot of information. There was no kind of like internet or like you no know, social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, whatever. You know, someone has to travel to get there, to get materials, to talk to the people, to interview them, uh, them and so on. I was the only assistant to do that work. And when were you there? I was there in 2001, I think in July. Yeah. Don't talk much about it because my lawyers are like, don't talk much about your time in Afghanistan. I said, okay. They have some, but you know, I have someone who is like also watching me all the time, my lawyers. Are your lawyers in the room right now? No. Okay, then tell me about your time in Afghanistan. No, I can't because they, they told me not to go in details about it because still they, they told me just not to go there so much. I guess what I'm really trying to understand here, Mansoor, is how did you end up at Guantanamo? One day I was in the restaurant, then we heard in the Arabic uh, channel that there was like uh, airplane flew into buildings in the United States. We didn't pay much attention to it, honestly. When I was in Afghanistan, my mission for research, I was directed to work one of the charity organization who was our sponsor there. They get uh, instructions from Saudi Arabia, they should liquid everything and, uh, and leave the, the country. So from that point, I went to what the, one of the friends who work in that charity, and we, we had like to had distribute everything. There was like medical stuff, medicine, blankets. And he said, we need to take this to the Qunduz city, to the hospital, because they need immediate assistance. I said, okay. We, we took the charity uh, organization car. While driving to that place, we were on bush on the road. I was kidnapped by the warlord and sold to the CIA by the warlord as a Qaeda general. Then I was moved to the black side, one of the worst places on earth. You will be lucky if you came out alive. Then I was moved to another detention in Kandahar. Then from there I was uh, shipped to Guantanamo. I was packed in uh, orange. The shoes was orange, the uniform was orange, everything was orange. But they put something around my neck, a sign which, which says, beat me. I got beating from Kandahar until I arrived at Guantanamo. How long were you in Guantanamo before you figured out why you were there? At the first, I was accused to be uh, Al-Qaeda general or Nile insider. Then, by 2015, they said no, unclear if he actually joined Al-Qaeda because they said none of Al-Qaeda members or Al-Qaeda leaders recognize him member of Al-Qaeda. I said, guys, either you say Al-Qaeda or he's not Al-Qaeda. I don't know why I was there. And I used to torture the interrogators after 2012. <laughs> I said, like, who are you? What's, uh, the new interrogator would come. What's your name? I said, Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda general, Nalef Insider. Come on, monster, don't say that. I said, why? You guys kicked for my, my fucking ass for the last, like, for uh, seven years, eight years to, to say this stuff. 
Someone once asked me, how did you spend your 20s? I said, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I never left my 20s. Time froze at that place. Imagine you were sent to a place totally disconnected from the world, from your life, from your families, from every, from everything. You are being kept in a cement box or cage, being treated, tortured, experimented on, punished for practicing your religion. This is Guantanamo. And when you look, if you just now Google, uh, Guantanamo America's Battle Lab. Google what? Guantanamo? Guantanamo America's Battle Lab. Guantanamo America's Battle Lab. Did you find it? I got it. When General Jeffrey Miller arrived at Guantanamo into by the end of 2002, and by the way, General Jeffrey Miller, before he went to Iraq and, st- and tortured detainees in Abu Ghraib and Boca uh, uh, prisons, he was at Guantanamo. That way he started developing what they call enhanced interrogation technique. Who was there when you were in Guantanamo? Who, who, who else was there? What kinds of people did you meet? All kinds of people. You have students, teachers, journalists, doctors, paramedic, artists, singers, football players, uh, bodybuilders, you know, uh, poets, all kinds of people. There were some people from Taliban. They admitted they were with Al-Qaeda, like Al-Qaeda propagandist, Osama bin Laden bodyguards. You were there for 14 years. You know, you, you didn't experience your 20s. Did you ever think you would get out? Yes. We have strong faith. I remember one of, one of, the, one of the interrogators, he used to treat me all the time. You're going to rot here. You're going to... I told him, I swear by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I will leave here whether I like it or not. As a Muslim, my faith already sealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I think no one can control that. When I met my lawyer in 2015, I told her, it is my time. I know we'll leave soon. What is your life like now that you've been released, Mansur? They forced me to leave to a place which I didn't want to go. They forced me to leave to Serbia. They told me either leave or rot in here. My life, in short words, I live in Guantanamo 2.0. As you see, as I told you, we're being treated like terrorists. Many of us, some of us still in jail, like New United Arab Emirates, people who were resettled in Emirates, they, they are still in jail for the last five, six years. In other countries, some of the brothers were uh, uh, sent to their own home countries where they're being tortured in prison again. Some of, we live in the stigma of uh, Guantanamo. But although, although like those difficulties and uh, unfortunate situation, I managed to finish my college this year. And my thesis is about rehabilitation and reintegration of former Guantanamo detainees into social life and the labor market. And we published my book, Don't Forget Us Here. I haven't met my family, and I'm trying to live to a place where I can build my family, start a life, get married, and have two little lovely girls. So, yeah. Before this interview, Mansoor, you you sent us a song that was written by a detainee. Why did you send us that? You know, it's a beautiful song, and we call it Guantanamo uh, song. It's written by a former Guantanamo detainees. It is very emotional and it's beautiful.
If you're going to complain about your sadness, just complain to Allah Almighty. That's it. So, no hate, no grudge, nothing. This is one of the things that help us to serve at Guantanamo. Mansoor Adaifi is the author of Don't Forget Us Here. It's about his 14 years as detainee 441 at Guantanamo. Our episode today was produced by Halima Shah. It's Today Explained. Thank you.